So we've been talking about what the last few weeks? Remind me. I don't remember. Just kidding. I do remember. Talking about money. Yay, money. That's everybody's favorite topic in church, right? Some people, believe it or not, don't like talking about money in church. Uh, I've, I've asked them why, because I love talking about money. Jesus talked about money all the time. I think it's a really important thing for us to talk about because it affects literally everything we do in our life. We have to spend money to live. That's just the way our society works. And so learning how to do that well and learning God's view on that is really important to our lives. And most of the time when I talk to people and they say they didn't like that or they don't like talking about money in church in general, it's because they've had a bad experience with a pastor or a leader trying to guilt trip them into giving and that sort of thing. So if, if you've had that experience and that left a bad taste in your mouth, come up afterwards. I'd like to pray for you. We did a group prayer a couple of weeks ago about that, but um, that's not a good thing, and we don't want that kind of stuff happening in church because Jesus talked a lot about money for a reason, right? And there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament about this, and there's a lot of stuff in the New Testament. He talked more about money than anything other than the kingdom of God in general. So what did Jesus talk about when he talked about money? What did he teach? Well, he taught what we're calling stewardship. And we get that idea from the parables that Jesus gave about uh, master and his servants or stewards, which, were, which are servants that the master entrusts with stuff and says, here, use my stuff, do my stuff. So like big households back in the day would have many servants, right? Because back then there were really only rich people and servants who you would call middle class, and then there were the poor who had absolutely nothing, and they were on their way to dying, okay? Um, today, we have a much bigger stratification of places to fit in between those things, but, but back in that day, there, there wasn't much room in the middle. Um, and so you had the master, and they had stewards, servants, and those servants were sort of in different ranks. And so, like, let's say the person in charge of the kitchen, they would be, like, the main steward of the food. And so they're entrusted with a pretty big budget to buy food. It's their responsibility to make sure everything's purchased and made and all that kind of stuff, and they have servants under them to do some of those jobs, especially in the real big households, right? Um, ever seen Downton Abbey? Okay. Think that, except togas. That's probably sort of close to what we're talking about, especially in the big households. Okay, so as stewards, we need to realize, understand, be awakened to the idea that 100% of what we have belongs to God. So he's the master, we're the steward. He has put us in charge of some of his stuff because everything belongs to God. We've given our lives to him, and by giving our lives to him, we're giving everything we have and everything that we are to him, right? Um, Now, I grew up with this understanding because my parents taught me this. But I totally realize that those who haven't grown up with this understanding, it's maybe a bit of a paradigm shift or super weird to even think about this. Like, but it's my job. I earned the money, so it's mine. What do you mean? And what Paul and I think Jesus certainly would say is that, well, who allowed you to get the job? Who gave you the skills that were required to do that job? Who gave you the health that was needed to go to that job? Who allowed you to be born in the United States of America where they have those kind of jobs to begin with? You could have been born in southern Uganda and not gone to school. Or you could have been born in northern Uganda and forced to be a child soldier. So then this isn't about guilt tripping. Ooh, Americans, bad, we're rich, we're bad. That's not what I'm saying in the slightest, okay? We are blessed and we are, fortunate's not a good word. We are, we're blessed, very blessed to live in America. Um, But to whom much is given, much is expected, right? That's what Jesus said. 
And so he has put us in charge of more than the people that were um, helping out in Uganda. Okay? We are stewards who have been given more than they have been given. That's just the way it is. Um, and we don't want to feel guilty about that, but we do want to put, put it in the right perspective and feel thankful for what it is God has done for us and to, to see ourselves as stewards of what he's given. And no matter what it is, how much we've worked hard and earned what it is that we have or will have, um, it's still God who gets the credit for that. Amen? We've worked really hard. I mean, Sarah did school for, like a lot of people do school through 12th grade, and she did another 14 years after that. <laughs> That's a lot of hard work. Okay? So it's not that she hasn't earned stuff in that sense, but she did all that in submission to God because that's what he was calling her to do. He's the one who gave her the gifts to be able to do it. He gave her the brilliant mind. He gave her the good hands. He gave her what she needs to be able to do her job. And so he gets the credit. Amen? And um, I, I was raised with this understanding, but there, there have been times, of course, where I've been like, no, but I worked super hard for this. I want to spend it all on candy. Um, which, as you grow up, candy turns into other things. <laughs> or still just candy. Um, in my case, but uh, I do like candy, but but it's other things then, you know, and it's toys and it's video games and uh, then it's cars or, or boats or whatever it is. Um, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to buy those things, okay, and we're going to get to that in a second, but we do need to keep it all in perspective. So we're responsible for using or sowing what God has given us, the money, in such a way that it brings in um, an investment return of some kind, or a harvest. That's the, the reaping part, sowing and reaping. That's the main metaphor that God uses for this. Um, and obviously, we'll need to use some of what God gives us to live on, right? Because we need to buy food, and there's bills, and there's housing, and there's water bills. And if your um, irrigation system has a crack in it, your water bill will be like $400 once, and it'll show up and surprise you, uh, which may or may not have happened a week ago. Um, it did. Um, and things like that happen. And God understands that some of what he gives us we need to use on ourselves, right? And when I was younger, I kind of always felt guilty spending money on myself. A little bit of guilty. And even after we got married, it's like, oh, it costs so much money to buy food and, and this and that. And I was like, I want to, this is God's money. I felt a little guilty using God's money. But what I didn't understand at the time was that that is an investment as well. Spending money on what you need, spending God's money on what you need, is God's investment into you. And you are God's primary investment. God is primarily interested in investing in you. And what he gives you, part of that, is to invest in yourself. And not just food and clothing, but also to invest in yourself in terms of wellness and joy and um, continuing education and learning and development and all that kind of stuff. God invests in you. And so we don't need to feel guilty when we spend money on the things that we need for ourselves. Yes, it's God's money, but God's like, yes, I want to spend my money on you. And then there are other times where God wants to overly bless us and just be generous to us. And God wants to spoil us because he is a father and fathers love to give good gifts to their children. And that's what Jesus said. And so sometimes God will be generous with us. Um, and I have found that, that the, the better steward you are, the, the more generous God tends to be with you. Now, don't read that as 
the better steward I am, the more stuff I'm going to get. That's, not, that's, a, that's a slippery slope, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. We don't want to go down that slope. You don't give to the poor so that you can get a beamer, right? You give to the poor because God says give to the poor, and that's you obey. Now, at some point, when it's time to buy a new car, um, and, and this, this is where the spending the money on ourselves becomes not difficult, but we have to throw a little bit of caution up there, okay? Yes, it's okay to spend money on ourselves. God wants to invest in us, um, but we need to submit that spending to him, right? And we need to fight against the natural inclination towards selfishness and greediness that we all have. That's part of the old nature, and although it's dead, like a zombie, it's always coming back and trying to get us and pull us in, okay? So that selfishness died on the cross, that greediness died on the cross, but it's, it's coming back to try to get us. And we have to fight against that. We have to actively fight against our own selfishness and our own greediness. It's just the way life is. And so we submit our spending to God. And when it comes time to get a car, we say, okay, Lord, here's a sensible car I found, and here's the car I'd really like. And I don't mean the, the Tesla, that, which is on my list, um, but like a little bit, let's say a little, let's not be crazy, let's say a little bit better. Like this is, this is nicer because of this reason, and maybe there are even practical reasons. We have to submit that to God, right? And there may be a season where God says, I, I want you to get this, the most sensible car. Is it the, is it the greatest car in the world? No, but it'll get you from A to B. It's what you need. That's, all, that's fine. And we, we say, okay. And we lay down our desire to get something nicer, for him, but there will be other times, perhaps, where we're like, "I'd really love this," and God's like, "Happy birthday," or "Happy August 4th, or whatever. <laughs> like, you know. And and I have found that the the better we are at stewardship, the more faithfully we follow that. It seems to me, anyway, the more often God is generous like that. It could also be that it, I simply notice it more. The more I'm submitted to God, the more I realize that it's generosity and thankfulness and not something I've earned. Maybe, maybe that's it. It could be a perspective thing. But it seems to me like God loves being generous. And we see this throughout the New Testament. God is a generous God. It's who he is. It's part of his nature. It's therefore one of the fruits of the spirit, generosity, right? And God wants us to experience generosity so that we can be generous to other people. And he understands that it's very helpful for us to learn to be generous to other people, to f- it's helpful to first receive that generosity, to experience it. And God likes to be generous to us, both directly by saying things like, go ahead and buy the nicer car or whatever it is, um, or go ahead and go on the nicer vacation. Um, but sometimes God uses other people to bless us as well, right? Just as we can be a blessing to other people, sometimes God uses other people to bless us. Vacations is another good example because God, no, God wants us to have time with our family, and he wants us to relax and have fun and experience rest. And uh, I know th- this is going to sound like a really American teaching, but God wants you to go on vacation. Um, and I can back that up because one of the tithes, we talked about this the first week, one of the tithes in the Old Testament that God commanded was saving up money to go on vacation, specifically to Jer- Jerusalem and other places, to take a trip with your family and to go there and to spend time there. Because God understands that we need that as a family. It helps build the relationships. It helps grow us closer together. Now, they were to go to Jerusalem to, to sacrifice and to teach their kids about the history of the people. So there's a God component there as well. And this isn't the topic, but I would certainly encourage you on your vacations and on your trips to make that a God, to put a God component in there. 
It could just be as simple as we're going to have devotions every day while we're on vacation or something simple like that. Um, for the last couple of years, we've been baptizing our children, but we're going to run out of children eventually um, to baptize. But, but like doing, putting God components into your vacation, I think, is a really great idea anyway. But that's also how God wanted us to use part of our money in the Old Testament. And so vacation, you don't need to feel guilty going on vacation. I think God wants you to do that. Throw a God component in there even better. But do we need to go to Disney World every year? We'd love to go to Disney World every year. Our kids would certainly love that. But that's hecka expensive, right? And so is it the best use of God's money for us to go to Disney World every year? For some people, maybe yes. I'm not going to judge that. Leave it to God. But for us, no. I mean, we're like, that's too much money, right? And so we pray about what we should do with our money and what we should do on vacation and how much money we should spend. And we let God speak to us about that kind of stuff. Everybody with me? Um, and I don't know if they can hear me, but next year we're going to Disney somewhere fun. Um, and that's super expensive. And so we've been, did, did this work? Just, it was just fun. It was just ridiculous and not actually, okay, okay. <laughs> Where are we going? Bunny World. <laughs> um, all right. Not, now that I've thrown us all out. Um, and it's really expensive, so we're still praying and, and, and trying to decide that, you know. But that's not something we're going to do every year um, because of that reason. So submit all this stuff to the Lord and understand that you are his kids. You are his biggest investment. Don't feel guilty about spending on yourself. But there will be times when God asks you to spend less on yourself and more on other people. And I talked last week about when I was in high school and God said, I want you to start sponsoring a child with Compassion International. And that was, for me at the time, a lot of money every month. <laughs> that was one less CD I got to buy and stuff like that. Um, and I also talked about the time he asked us to write a really huge check to dig wells in Africa. And like $5,000, that's a, that's a crazy large amount of money when you don't have a lot of money. And he said, do that. And the next year, we didn't go on vacation at all. We went to visit my family, but we drove there and we stayed at their house. And so it was really cheap. Because <laughs> uh, we spent, it was cheaper <laughs> than our own house because they fed us. And so, <laughs> so like, uh, we spent our vacation money on Africa, and God told us to do that. That doesn't, doesn't mean we're better and holier and get to brag about it because we spent our vacation money on Africa. God told us to do that. And so we did it. And we get blessed from that, for sure, because anytime you obey, you get blessed. Um, but that doesn't give us the right to walk around and be like, because sometimes, and this is true about everything, by the way, sometimes when you get a revelation or get a truth, you tend to go around and bash other people over the head with the revelation you've received. Like when you receive a revelation that we all need to be reaching out to other people and finding non-Christians and talking to them and praying with them and opening up their hearts to God, and we all have to be about that. We get that revelation, and we start bashing other people saying, if you're not witnessing to non-Christians, you have totally lost plot of the gospel and blah, blah, blah. Like there's that natural human tendency in us. And so don't hear me saying any of that while I'm talking about stewardship. I've got a lot of revelation about stewardship. We've been walking this road for many, many years now, and this is an area where I've been really blessed um, but please don't hear me bashing you, but I am trying to encourage you and fan flames and that sort of thing. Everybody with me? I think you guys all trust me enough to know that's coming from a good place. So we are stewards, and the more we give to the Lord, the more he will entrust with us. And we looked at that um, in Matthew 25 last week when the steward who had five invested his five. He got five back. And the one who invested two got the two back. The one who invested nothing, he had one, and he dug it, dug a hole and buried it in the ground, right? And 
to the one who had five, the master said, give five more. And to the one who had two, give two more. And to the one who had one, take it away. And that, by the way, is a very good explanation of the world economy and how it always has been and always will be. If you have, you will get more. And if you don't have, it's taken away. And that's true in every economy in the world, and it's been true in every economy in history. And there are lessons to be learned in that. Um, they, like, non-Christians call it the Matthew Principle. Like, in economics, it's called the Matthew Principle. That's how they refer to it. Um, and it's just the way things are set up, okay? I'm not going to start getting political here or anything like that, but that is it's the way it's set up. But we can fight against that, the bad aspects of consequences of that, and we can fight for the good consequences of that. Um, and so... We also talked about not falling into the trap of saying, well, I don't have much money now, so I'm not going to give much now. But when I have more money, I'll give. right? And that makes a little bit of sense, maybe. But the reality is, if we're not giving now, we'll never give. And I've seen it over and over and over again with people who are like, oh, I'll give later. Uh, I'll give when I have a, job, a better job. Well, I'll give when my student loans are done. Well, I'll give when my kids are out of college. Well, I'll give when I die. And it's like, well, when you're dead, you're dead. Um, it's too late. And so... <laughs> Like, don't fall for that trap. That's an easy trap to fall for, and the devil will try to get you to fall for it. Um, don't. You're smarter than that. I, I trust you. Um, and so the reason, the main reason I think Jesus talks about money more than anything else is that it's a test for us um, in maturity and in faith, right? Um, I think it's one of the most important tests he gives us. Open up to Luke 16. We're going to look at another many, many teachings on this, and we're going to look at one we haven't looked at yet. Luke 16. So we read the parable of the talents last week, which um, taught us that if we prove to be good stewards in the area of money, he'll trust us with not only more money, but truly important things, things that matter even more. And he will make us stewards of, of spiritual blessings and authority, um, Luke 16, let's start with verse, we're going we're to skip the first parable, and then go straight to the um, explanation, just for the sake of time. Uh, verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Okay, so Jesus is saying, if I can't trust you with money, how am I going to trust you with things that really matter? And this is the most basic money test that God does for us. If he can't trust us to be good stewards in general with money, how could he trust us with other things, the souls of other people? You know, we, we want to reach out and we want to see people come to the Lord and we want to see ministry happen. And we all have callings and we all have dreams and visions and things that we want to see happen, right? And those are all good things. They're God-given things. And God's like, but here's the deal. If I can't trust you with something stupid like money, how am I going to trust you with anything that really matters? We need to prove to God that we can obey and that we can follow him and the more we prove that we can follow him and obey him and trust him and have faith, the more he gives us, okay? And money is one of the most simple ways that God uses for that. So again, verse 11, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, then who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So if we can't be good stewards, why, why is God going to bless us and give us more of our own? And I think that's, par in part, that's talking about the generosity piece. Um, there's other things there as well. Um, 
No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, and I'm not going to talk about that because I think we already get that um, concept. I don't think anybody here is serving money. Um, but intentionally, but I think we can fall into that. If we get into the day-to-day grind of I just got to go to work and I got to make that money, and, and, and we can end up sometimes serving money without really realizing it, um, especially if we're doing that and then not obeying what it is God is saying to us. We're just doing what we do. Um, but if we're, if we're walking in obedience to what God says, not only in the general senses, but what God might say to us specifically, then we can prove ourselves good stewards. We can pass these money tests. And the most basic money test is Matthew 6, which we looked at the first week. I will provide for you. Don't worry. That's what Jesus said. I will provide for you. Do not worry. Okay? So that's the first money test. When we need, when we have a lack, when we don't have enough, will we trust God? That is the most basic money test. And if we can prove to him that we can do that, then he makes us stewards of more, and he also, we're also entrusted with more of the true riches that Jesus talks about here, okay? So this is a big deal. How we operate in money is actually a big deal. It's like step one of trusting God in a lot of ways. Um, people used to ask me, how do you discern whether or not someone is mature in the faith? And I said, that's easy. I look at their wallet or checkbook, I used to say. People used to write these paper things called checks, and it was kind of inefficient. But um, I, you look at their checkbook and their, and their uh, schedule, their timesheet. In other words, how they spend their money and how they spend their time. And if they're being good stewards of their money and their time, they're pretty mature. And if they're not, they're not. They may have been in the church for 40 years, but if their pocketbook isn't under submission to God, and if their t- calendar isn't un- under submission to God, then they're not that mature, and they're not going to be given a lot of responsibility in the kingdom of God, and they're not going to be given a lot of responsibility in my church or in my th- whatever thing I'm leading. Are you with me? Um, now, obviously, it's possible to have God as Lord of your life in those two areas and still be totally messed up in other areas because we are human and we are prone to, to chaos and being messed up. But those are two of the first things I look for when it comes to maturity. Um, because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> do you spend time with God? Do you devote your time to helping other people? Do you spend your money as God is asking you to spend it? And so I try to judge in that sense the way that God judges. And um, so these money tests are, are really important. They're important not only for our own finances and our financial development and our future, but they're important for our spiritual development. God uses these tests to develop us spiritually because it builds our trust in him, our, our awe of him to be able to provide in amazing and miraculous ways, and it increases our faith. And when our faith is increased, we talked about this a while back, but faith is one of those substances that is mobile. It can, faith can be applied to anything in our life. And so if God gives us a money test and it increases our faith, then we have more faith to pray for our sister who is sick or our brother who has walked away from the Lord, and it doesn't seem like they're ever going to come back. We have more faith to pray for them now and to stand for him because God has proven how awesome he is here, and so God has to be awesome here too. Are you with me? That's how faith works, and God loves to increase our faith. He also loves to bless us, and these are great ways to bless us. To get us to have more, he needs to get us to be faithful in little. 
And that's what it says here in Luke. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in more. So prove that you're faithful in little, and I'll give you the chance to prove you're faithful in more. And that's how this whole thing works. It's very, very simple math. Um, and a lot of us have been through money tests. I'm guessing all of us have been through money tests. We've certainly been through plenty. Um, we, we had a lot between um, undergrad and graduate school. Um, Sarah was going to the U of M. I was going to seminary. God called me to a seminary that was not accredited, and so I didn't. So my loans came due because I couldn't defer them, and I had to pay for tuition instead of getting loans for tuition. So that's a big money problem when you don't have any and aren't making any because you're in school, right? We also didn't have a car or a place to live. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to take a step of faith and obey in what you're calling me to do, but I need you to step up. I need you to provide a car and, and a place to live, and I'd love to get out of seminary. And then, and then I said those things, and God's like, okay, let's do it. And I was like, okay, sweet. And so I stepped out, and like as I was stepping out, I'm like, oh, can I tack on one more thing? Uh, like, so my faith was, was increasing, and so I'm like, I didn't ask for enough. I should have asked for more. And I'm like, okay. It's like that story in the Old Testament where he goes to uh, the king, and he's like, uh, I'm going to give you victory. Stab your arrow in the ground. And he stabs in the ground like three times, or is it he shots. So, and, and he's like, oh, so you did it three times. I'm going to give you three victories. You should have done it seven times. You should have done it until your arm fell off. And you never would have stopped winning. But he had enough faith to shoot it three times, and that was it. And that story is one of those cautionary tales to me. Don't ask for too little. Don't quit too soon. Don't stop. I've been patient, and I've been trusting this whole time, and now I'm going to give up. No, it was tomorrow. It was tomorrow that this was going to end. Don't give up. Maybe it's one more prayer. Maybe you have to pray 117 times for this thing, and you stop at 115. Stupid. Don't do that, okay? And I see these things in the Bible as cautionary tales, and I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. Help me not do that. Help me not do that. And um, the, these, these money tests are like that. We, we need to be patient, and we need to be faithful and do that. And so uh, we're going to MI, and I'm like, okay, I want to add one more thing. I want to incur no more debt going through seminary. No additional, no additional debt. And, you know, I, you couldn't get, you can't get loans for an unaccredited school, um, and I didn't know where the money was going to come from. But anyway, we got a free car. We got an amazing place to live. Then I had a wait list for a year. We showed up with, a, with our car full of all our stuff. Just, it just happened to be that all of our stuff that we owned was in our car, and we stopped by to put in an application at the place with a one-year waiting list. And they're like, oh, okay, when can you move in? Because we knew somebody who worked there, and they're like, we want you. You're awesome. We're like, we got all our stuff in our car. And I don't know if we moved in that day, but if not, it was like the next day. Okay? We moved in right away. And um, I got out of seminary without incurring any more debt. Now, there were other uh, money tests during that time. So at, at Master's Institute, you do an internship concurrently with school, right? That's part of the program. You do an internship at a, at a church which is paid. And uh, the church I was doing it at ran out of money halfway through the year. In January, they're like, so we love having you here, and we don't have any more money to pay you. So how, how, what do you think about that? And I said, that's fantastic. Um, and so then I'm like, okay, God, what am I supposed to do, right? Uh, and I prayed about it, and I felt like God said, you can do whichever thing you want. Um, there's not going to be more money here. But you can do what you want. You can stay and help them for free, or you can go and do something else. 
And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to stay and finish my internship and not get paid for it. And I think that would be a good thing to do. And while I was doing that, I, I, I didn't say yes to the, uh, the stuff I really didn't want to do. <laughs> As an intern, you have to say yes to some things you maybe wouldn't otherwise. And I, I, I didn't do those things. <laughs> I'm like, if, uh, if you're not paying me, I don't feel like I, I need to do the nursery <laughs> or whatever. Um, but uh, I like my own babies, but other babies isn't as much fun. And um, I didn't have any babies yet at the time. Um, and at then at that time, I started working on planting a church, which we then planted a church at the University of Minnesota. And had God not cut my hours, so to speak, I wouldn't have had as much time to invest in laying the groundwork for planting that church and might not have planted that church or might not have started to plant that church. And so in that case, I think God cut the hours not primarily as a money test, but to give me time to do something else. But again, when we get our hours cut, when things happen, what do we do? Do we go, oh, woe is me, God. The sky is falling. Uh, we're not going to have enough money. We're going to die, all this stuff. Or do we say, okay, something's going on. God, you're going to do something now. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm excited to be a part of the program, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to trust that you know what's going on. And that's how we can pass those money tests. Tim. That is a factual statement. Yeah. Because Communitas started because we were doing Extreme Life. And Paul got really jealous in a holy way and wanted to do the same thing. And then Lydia House came out of that. So we wouldn't be here this morning. Yeah. Yep. And every time we'd have him come and, come and teach, we'd have him come and teach sometimes. And every time he'd come, he'd be like, I love this. These young adults are so much fun. There's energy, and they ask questions. They don't know things yet. They haven't been ruined <laughs> by bad teaching and by life and all this stuff, and this is so cool. And so he just really, really loved it, and then Communitas came out of that. So that's true. And so, like, it's amazing how God does stuff. And so our reaction to life circumstances is very important. And it, th in the context of these money tests, it's very important. And some of you have been noticing, but we, we have a whole, one theme for this entire year. The theme for this entire year is learning to transcend our circumstances. That's the theme for this year. We've been talking about that every single week in one way or another. And right now we're talking about it through money. How to transcend our circumstances. We are meant to live from heaven down in faith. It's called walking by the spirit and not walking by sight. And we're talking about that every week. And right now we've been talking about it in the context of money. And I think this is a really great rubber meets the road topic and example of learning how to not live by what we see in our circumstance, but to live by faith. Because we're poor, <laughs> you know? We're living in little Somalia, our, our car's falling apart, and now I get my hours cut? Like, I easily could have been like, what the heck, God? In fact, I think I did the first day. I'm like, God, what is going on? I don't understand, right? I don't understand. Um, and he's like, I know you don't understand. That's okay. You don't have to understand right now which I don't like. I hate that answer. That's the worst answer. I, I, I prefer a, you're right, I forgot to send the syllabus. Here you go. Um, but no, it's like, it's a, you don't need to know. The point is that you don't know so that you trust me. Hold on to my hand tighter. Maybe find my hand. Maybe you've lost it. But grab it, hold on to my hand, and walk with me. Will you walk with me? Will you duck when I say duck? It's, it's like, have you ever done one of those trust exercises where somebody blindfolds themselves and another person, fought, like, leads them around? Have you ever done any of those silly, like, skill building, team building things? 
I, I enjoy messing with the person who's blindfolded. Um, God doesn't do that, um, <laughs> fortunately. Um, but that's kind of what walking by the Spirit is like, because we can't see things oftentimes the way God sees them. We don't see it from his perspective. All we see is right here, and the bank account is empty, and there's no money coming in. That's what we see. And God's like, I know that's what you see, but I need you to learn to trust me. Put your hand in my hand, and I will take you in the right direction. And, and so it's a, it's a test of trust, and through that, he builds our faith, and he brings us um, the rewards we're looking for and all this kind of stuff. A lot of you are probably in money tests right now. A- anybody feel like raising their hand? You don't have to, but um, there, there is probably some of us in money tests right now. If not, there's one around the corner, I promise. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. <laughs> when I say there's a money test around the corner, don't take that as a, ooh, I rebuke that. No, these are good things. That's my point. These are good things because they stretch us. Left to our own devices, we will sit and stagnate happily. <laughs> right? But God wants to stretch us. It's like exercising. It's like weight training. If you want to get stronger, you've got to exercise. Exercising stinks. But you've got to do it anyway. Like, it's just the reality of life. And so the money test stinks. That's the exercise part. We don't like to do that. But God has to put us through that to get us where it is that he wants us to be. Like, if he's like, I need you to be doing this, and you're here. And so this is the exact gap that I need to cover. I'd prefer to do it in three months, but since I know the future, I know it's going to take you two and a half years, um, but that's all right. We're going to work this out, and I'm going to get you from here to here and where you need to be in your level of faith or of trust or whatever it is, um, and God is kind, and he is patient, and he is generous, and he will not stop giving you the test over and over and over and over again if you don't pass it because he's very patient. And if it takes you five years to get through the money test, he'll wait. Isn't that comforting? (laughs) Sort of. I mean, like, not. We'd prefer to be like, just pass it. I pass. Somebody else can do it, you know. But he's like, no, but I love you too much to let you do that, okay? Um, One of my offspring did not want to learn how to tie their shoes. And their solution was, just keep buying Velcro shoes, Why is this difficult? Just buy the Velcro stuff and I don't have to learn. Pass. (laughs) I just pass on this whole ordeal, you know. And, you know, uh, not being God and just normal human parents, we actually did that. (laughs) And just kept buying Velcro shoes for like two more years. Um, Eventually they stopped making Velcro shoes, as it turns out. And so you do have to figure out how to get them to tie their shoes. Oh, you have grandma teach them. That helps. And then there's a song about a rabbit. But um, I don't remember how it goes. Um, and so money, money tests are tough, but God does it for a reason. And, and the, the more you learn to see them from God's perspective, the more money tests actually become an exciting thing. It actually becomes exciting because you know that, ooh, I'm in a money test. Something good is going to happen. Now, how do you know if you're in a money test? Well, if you're lacking what you need, you're in a money test. If what you see you need in the future is less than what you have now, that's a money test. If God is calling you to do something, move somewhere, start a new ministry, do some sort of mission thing. If you have some sort of vision, but your vision can't happen because you don't have the money, that's a money test. Okay? So there's a lot of different kinds of these. There's a lot of ways that God works through this. But in general, anytime you lose your money, (laughs) the stock market crashes, you get your hours cut, you lose your job, whatever. Um, Or anytime you simply need more. Or like, I'd really love to buy a house, God, and I don't have enough money to do that. But I'd really like to buy one. Okay, that's a money test. 
So there's a, a lot of different forms. Some of us are in them now. The rest are, will, will be, I'm sure, soon. We've all been through them in the past. And um, I'm in one, one right now that's been a pretty long-term one, actually. Um, and that the previous job I did before this was a pastor in Grantsburg, Wisconsin, um, where I made more money than I've ever made in my life. Um, which still wasn't very much, <laughs> 31000 a year, but more money than I've ever made in ministry. And God said, I want you to leave that, and I want you to come here and work for Paul for significantly less money. Um, snicker, snicker. So that's a money test, right? Okay, do I leave the thing that's given a lot of money, or, 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 or do I say, well, no, nope, that's silly. I need to be sensible. I need to be stable. I'm a man. I have to provide. There would be a whole host of excuses, right, why not to do it. Um, and we chose to do it. And the money didn't show up the next day <laughs> to pay me. <laughs> um, eventually, I, I was able to get a phone call from Tim uh, October last year saying, congratulations, we are doubling your salary. It's very exciting. Probably the only time, I'll, hopefully not the only time I'll hear that because it needs to double a couple more times. Um, <laughs> but, but still, you know, in <laughs> yeah. doubling very little, but it does help, right? The widow gave two cents, and that was a lot of money to Jesus. So, um, so yeah, I'm still walking this out by faith, you know, but, but God is good and God is faithful. And often these tests have a time component to them, you know. Sometimes a, sometimes a test is, are you going to do this? You did it. You passed. Great. It was a one-time obedience thing or a, maybe a multi-step obedience thing. And other times, the test is perseverance, right? And the same is true in prayer. That's why Jesus, whenever he teaches prayer, he teaches persistence. Prayer has to be persistent or it's not going to work. That's just how prayer works. And when it comes to learning how to trust, time is usually one of the biggest factors, Will you trust over time? Anybody can trust God for a day. Anybody can trust God for a week without complaining and worrying. But when it's four months, it's tempting to start complaining and worrying. When it's eight months, it's hard not to start complaining and worrying. But complaining is evidence of complaint, worry, that's evidence of unbelief, lack of trust. That's the opposite. And God, in order to grow, you have to be pushed to the edge, right? We all understand that. Like when it comes to exercise, you can't. Whatever your level of workout is in running, let's say, you can't exercise down here every day and get better. You have to actually push yourself. You have to get closer to that edge. And so the more faith you have, the farther God needs to push you to grow that faith. Right? That just makes sense. And so there's often a time component to these. Um, but God is good and he'll get you through it. And I do want to take this moment as a slight aside to give a shout out to Sarah who's in the front row here, because, um, because I'm the pastor and because I'm the one in our family in charge of our finances, um, God's usually speaking to me about this stuff first. And Sarah is always very gracious to be like, this is what God wants you to do? Are you sure? Okay. You know? And we usually pray about it, give us some time, that sort of thing. And she's always supportive. And she never says, you're no kind of husband who doesn't support his family. She doesn't say that under her breath or mutter it or in, in, infer it, Im imply it, sorry. She doesn't do that. She doesn't nag, okay? She doesn't say, another one? Seriously? So those things probably happen, like, somewhere in here, but, but they don't make it out of here. <laughs> uh, once in a while, we'll joke about, yes, another one. But, um, 
I, I, I encourage all of you, whether you're in a relationship now or not, to take her example in doing this. Because it's hard for her, because if she wasn't given the word or the faith or the vision, then she has to take it all on faith. Faith not just in God, but in me, that I heard right. That's tough. And when it affects your bottom line, when your husband or wife leaves a job where they're making money and goes to a job where they're not making money, that affects your life. It affects your ability to buy the house you're trying to buy. And probably postpones it. Okay? And so... When we're, when we're living together <laughs> with each other, I really encourage you guys to, um, to trust and to try not to react and argue and that sort of thing because the next time it comes around, it might be you that God speaks to to do this thing and your spouse is going to have to be the one who trusts you and who's willing to support you and walk with you. And the next time it might be you. I mean, it, it often goes back and forth and it has with us too. Um, and so I encourage you, those of you who are married or plan to be married at some point in the future, um, to really pray about that. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I know Sarah has at times had to really submit that to God because it's like, this does seem dumb or I don't like this or whatever, so I need you to help me, God, with my attitude to be supportive because it's tough sometimes, okay? I'm not saying she's a perfect person. I'm just saying she has graduated. <laughs> yeah, that's a separate issue. Um, but she's graduated in this to the point where, like, she is an example that I would put out to anybody as this is how a spouse should be. And I don't know if I'm as good as her in that, hopefully, but I mean, I was a stay-at-home dad for six years instead of pastoring. Um, so there's that, I guess. But mostly, I think um, it's Sarah that I want to look to for that. So, I mean, if anybody has any questions or they're dealing with this in their marriage, which is very common, money is the main thing people argue about in marriage, the number one thing, by far, by far. Our wedding sermon by Gary Gilbertson was about money. The sermon at our wedding was about money because he's like, I have married hundreds of people and the number one thing they come back to me about a year later, two years later, three years later is money. Because often early in marriage, God gives you money tests to test your relationship and to see how you hold up under that pressure and how you respond and how you react. And most of us, uh, it's a mixed bag, <laughs> right? Some of the reactions were maybe good, and some of them were maybe not so good. But learning how to forgive and how to pass lo- pa- uh, surpass those kind of obstacles is a big part of marriage um, and a big part of life in general. And I know after we were married, that's pretty much when we got our first money test, I would say, because um, we had started always giving 10%. That's just how we were brought up. And God challenged us that very first year, I want you to start giving more. And I was like, but our budget is still red at the end of the month. Like, I don't know how we're going to have enough money to do what we already have to do and to give the 10% we already are giving, and you're asking me to give more than that. Like, that's a tough ask when you're 21 and newly married and all that kind of stuff. That is a tough ask, and God's like, yes, that is a tough ask. You're correct. And I'm like, you little... And... That was an example of one where I passed because I did it, but I did it a little bit reluctantly <laughs> and, and didn't have maybe the, the perfect, uh, perfect attitude. But at the end of the day, I did it, so, so that's what counts. So, okay, pass your money tests. How do we pass our money tests? Some of this is review, some of it's not. First of all, understand that you're a steward and 100% of what you have belongs to God. That's the first thing to understand to pass your money tests, and you may need to remind, that, remind yourself of that often. 
especially if the test is difficult or taking a long time. Two, don't worry or be stressed. That's Matthew 6. Trust in God to provide for you. Trust that he has a plan, that he knows what he's doing, and he's going to provide. Okay? Number three, ask the Lord for wisdom and obey whatever he says. And maybe that wisdom is you're doing it wrong. Don't do that job. Get quit and get a different job. Your problem is you're not making enough money because you're in the wrong job. Or your problem is you're doing the job wrong. Your problem is you need to ask for a raise and you're too passive. I don't know what the problem is, but ask God for wisdom and he'll tell you what you need to do in that situation. And there's virtually infinite solutions. Um, it just depends on what God wants you to do in that situation. So ask the Lord for wisdom and obey. And, and um, I, I'd probably encourage you to, to do that in the context of other people and not just yourself. Because whenever emotion is high, hearing from God is a little more difficult. It's really true with anger or infatuation, but it's also true with other emotions. And worry is one of those emotions. And if you, if you don't have enough money and you're worried about it, it can be hard to hear God. So try to let go of that worry, but also grab a friend or two and be like, can you listen with me over the next couple of weeks? And then you bring them that word and you say, I think this is what God wants me to do. And you ask them and you have them pray about that for you and give you some wisdom. Um, and that, that will help you walk through this. Because no, we're not meant to go through these tests by ourselves. Okay, that's why God gives us the body of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, right? Important verse. So ask the Lord for wisdom and obey, especially in the context of other people. Number four, increase your giving. One of the best ways to pass a money test is to increase your giving. Now, sometimes God might lead you to decrease your giving for a shorter period, of, for a specific period of time. That's possible. Um, but in general, the best way to get out of a money test is to increase your giving, which is very counterintuitive, right? The money test is, I got l laid off, or I don't have as much hours, or whatever it is. I, don't, I have less money now. Why would I give more? That makes no sense. But that's why it works. Because if you now have a lack, and you say, God, I trust you. I trust you so much, I'm not only going to keep giving, but I'm going to give you more. It's like a take that situation, you put it under your feet and say, nope, I'm going to prove I trust God, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm not just going to say I trust God. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, literally, and I'm going to give an extra gift to a certain place or, or, or group or whatever, okay? Increasing your giving proves that faith because you say, I believe God's going to provide. I believe he's going to get me through, and I'm going to prove I believe it by giving even more, and I Get, trust me, I've done this many times now. And when you do that, God smiles. He literally smiles from heaven when you do that. He's like, she gets it. She got it. She gets it. I know a guy who did this. Um, he got fired very unexpectedly. The, 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 the workplace was didn't do what you're supposed to do. They didn't let people know we're struggling. They, they hid all the information until they were bankrupt and just you're fired. Everybody's laid off. It's horrible. Totally out of the blue. Right? He's got kids, the whole deal. The first thing he does is write a big check to a Christian ministry. First thing he did. Because he understood what was happening. He's in a money test. I'm going to prove that I trust you, God. And that I'm not worried about this money. It's all your money. How about we give some of your money over here? And God's like, yes, one second. And um, not only did he do that, which is good, but he did it very wisely. And he sowed that money to a ministry that helps people find jobs. 
So it's an inner city ministry that helps people on the street find jobs. So they don't have to beg and that sort of thing. They can work a job. And that's what the ministry did. And so he's sowing a seeds to a seed into a ministry that helps people get jobs so that he can reap a harvest spiritually of getting a job. Right? So he did, that's called brilliantly wise is what that's called. You sow seeds intentionally. If you really want cucumbers, you do not sow rutabaga. Right? You don't sow rutabaga and pray for a miracle to get cukes. That's not how it works. You sow cucumbers. Okay? And so he wanted to reap a job. He sowed into that area. And there was a time factor involved, five or six months. I can't remember exactly. I'd have to ask him. But um, he got a new job that was way better than the other one in every respect, including got paid a lot more. Okay? So he passed that money test. But in my opinion, he really passed the test the first day. The, the five or six months after that was just a, taste, a test of his patience. And is he going to s- not complain and that sort of thing. But he really passed on the first day. Alexander, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. We read it last time, but but you can read it. And that's what I'm talking about is when we're in a money test, we can increase, increase our giving in secret. It's only us and God. And it's proven to him that we trust him, that we trust where he's taken us, even though we don't see it, that we trust, which is faith. When you act on belief, that's faith. It's not faith if you sit around saying, I believe it. You've got to put your money where your mouth is, either metaphorically or in this case, literally, since we're talking about money. And so, um, yeah, that's the next thing. Increase your giving. So pray about that. I'm happy to talk to anybody about that. Uh, and, th- and the fifth one, which we talked about already, is continue to be faithful and trust. That's, that's the final one. And this is how you pass your money tests. And if you continue to be faithful and to trust and push out unbelief <laughs> and complaining, resist complaining if you can. And again, to strengthen you and stretch you, God's going to push you <laughs> to, to the cusp maybe, the very last cusp maybe, of what you're able to sustain <laughs> without worrying and complaining. But he's not going to push you over, so there's no excuse for worrying or complaining, okay? And we might need each other, and there might be bad days that you have to talk to somebody and be like, I'm having a real hard time not worrying about this stuff right now. We need somebody to pray for us and encourage us, you know? Um, That's what we're supposed to be for one another. 
um, is to do that. But that's the final step to pass is continue to be faithful and trust. Um, flip to 2 Corinthians 9. This is going to be our last passage for today. 2 Corinthians 9. Going to look at verse 6 and 7. I'm just going to end with talking a little bit about giving. Um, specifically giving money, not just investing money in the general sense, um, but giving money to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. I'm not going to read the parable. I'm just going to read the, um, or the, the teaching. I'm just going to read the point at the end. Verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And when I talked about tithing the first week, I said my main problem with churches that teach you must tithe is that that turns into a compulsion. That turns into a law and a legalistic thing, and you must do this or else. And it's very hard to respond with joy and cheerfulness when we give when we feel like if we don't, we'll get in trouble. Right? And that's, that's why God's not into that in the New Testament. He's just saying, look, everything is mine, and do what I tell you to do with the money. Learn how to be a good servant, and do it cheerfully, not reluctantly. And this is why, and I've shared this, some of my early money tests, I passed, but like barely. Right? I passed with like a D or a C because I obeyed, but it was either a little reluctant or a little like, oh, I guess I have to give, but darn it, you know? But that's okay. When, when, we're, when we're learning how to walk, we fall a lot, right? But over time, we eventually learn how to walk. You don't yell at the kid who's falling. You help them, and you encourage them, and that's what God does. And so eventually, um, we got to the point where when God was like, I want you to give, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, it was like, awesome, I'm excited. And when he, even when he said, I want you to write that giant check, at first it was like, whoa. Like, you know, I wasn't super cheerful on the first day. <laughs> but after praying about it and submitting it to the Lord, I was like, it is pretty awesome that we get to be a part of this. And, and since then, we've done a lot more stuff. And World Vision has this cool thing where you can build a house for a widow and her children. A whole house. You write one check, and you just built somebody a house. And, like, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? And so it, it brings us joy to be able to do that kind of stuff. And when we first got married, we didn't have much to give, so we couldn't do the cool stuff like that. It's like, well, what good does 10 bucks do? But that's not what it's about. It's about the two cents. It's about giving what God tells you to give. And if you're faithful, eventually you'll have bank <laughs> to give to people. And you'll be able to build a stinking house You'll be able to dig a well. You'll be able to, to fund ministries and do amazing things for the gospel. I mean, we've given away over a quarter of a million dollars now. That's insane. <laughs> I don't make any money. How do we do that? I don't know. I could forensically look at the math, and I think there'd be some loaves and fishes in there. But um, God is awesome. And the more you are, the more you give, the more you sow, the more you'll reap. It says that right here. Okay, so if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, and that's how you start, and that's okay. You sow a little bit. A little bit of obedience is good, but eventually God's like, I want you to start sowing more bountifully, being more generous, trying to exercise that fruit and being like I am, and we're like, okay, but as we do it, we start to reap more bountifully, and that, that joy comes, and that cheerfulness comes, and eventually we're able to do things that 
you don't have to give the caveat of the widow gave two cents. That's true and that's important, but eventually you can be like, yeah, and somebody supported Paul when he went to Macedonia or he couldn't have gone. That's why he wrote this in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> Folks, I want to go to Crete. <laughs> I need some money. The boats aren't free, right? Um, that one shipwrecked and he got bit by a snake, but um, <laughs> that wasn't because of the donors. That wasn't on them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Right, we don't give. Right, yeah, and the point, yeah, the point isn't we sow bountifully so that we can reap bountifully and then use that on ourselves. And we did talk about that. It's, that's, that's not what it's about. But the reality is if we sow, we will reap on this earth as well as in heaven. But what we reap on this earth is re-sown. So you don't give a bunch and then get to graduate and get the beamer. That's what we talked about. <laughs> um, Yes, exactly. And so that means it's not all tax deductible. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, yeah. Yep. You, you do everything in, in, in such a way that, yes, yep, exactly. And so some of that, you might not see an immediate reaping because that's not what it's about. It's not, so it's not a direct investment. It's not like here's my dividends. Um, and we're going to get to one of those verses in just a sec, actually. Um, so you start in obedience, and then you work from there and work from there. Um, and, you know, when we first started, when we were poor, it was really challenging. Um, because God, we were saying, God, I only, we don't have enough hardly even now. We already have to trust you for everything, and now you're asking us to trust you for more. And he's like, yeah. Um, and I would not trade those poor years for anything. I would not trade that time for anything. It was a struggle. It was difficult. It was generic food. Uh, we didn't have a car for two years and had a bike to school. And then the bike got stolen. We had to walk to school. I mean, like, there were challenges, and it was difficult. But our faith increased so much during that time because God met us every step of the way and provided food. Sometimes people showed up and gave us food. Here's a bag of food. It happened. And, and great, great aunts gave early inheritance checks Whose great-great-aunt gives you anything other than, you know, some old piece of furniture? Um, and so and God proved to us during those years over and over and over again how faithful he is, how much we can trust him, how much we can give him everything and not worry about it. And that allowed us to then be like, okay, yes, I will go to seminary. Okay, yes, I will do this. Okay, yes, I will plant a church. Okay, yes, we will do all this stuff. Because he built that faith through, through the, the obedience when we were younger. So um, people often ask, and somebody did ask this question, um, over the week, where do we give? Like specifically, what, where should I give? And not, when I'm talking about investing in the kingdom of God, I'm not just talking about writing checks to places. And, and you brought that up and we talked about that. Some of that money is spent on ourselves. Some of it is done to friends and that sort of thing. We're not just talking about tax deductions, okay? Um, we're talking about this money is going to the Lord, but some of that is going to be actual money that we give to somewhere. So where do we give? Uh, I got six things here. One, give to ministries that are giving to you. Give to places that are sowing into your life and places that you are a part of. I'm talking about communities you're at. So, yes, your local church, 
your Bible study, the mission group you're in, the outreach group you're in, that sort of thing, whatever thing you are involved in, um, you should definitely give to those places because that's where God is giving to you. So you should be supporting those places. Number two, give to areas where you are called to minister. So if you know you're called to reach out to young adults or refugees, give to places that are doing what you know you're called to do. Because when you sow, you reap, right? And so if you sow into those places where you yourself are called to be, then you'll reap in those places. So if you're a teacher and you're called to, to really invest yourself into those kids, give to them. Give to the places that are involved in helping those kids out, okay? Number three, sow seeds into areas where you would like to be involved. I would like to see a harvest in this area or that area. And, and not just you or your family. It could be you individually. It could be your family. Or it could be your church. Like, I would like to see us involved in some way in the refugee crisis in Minneapolis and in bringing Muslims to Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean this room will be full of Somali people. But I want us to be a part of it somehow. Okay? And we're not right now. And so how do I help us to become a part of that? We give money to places that are doing it. I don't mean we Lydia House, although Lydia House does too, but we personally. I invest in here because I'm a part of here. Okay? And so I invest in places that are helping the refugees. I invest in ministries that are reaching out to Muslims in the Twin Cities because I want to see a harvest. I want to have influence in those areas, and I don't ha we, we're not doing it now, but I want to. So we invest. Sowing seeds, that's what investing in the kingdom is. That's what the, the, the parable of the talents is about, investing in the kingdom of God. Okay? Um, and, you know, in that, in that story, they invested money and they got money back. And sometimes that is true, but other times you invest money and you don't get the money back. It's, it's more spiritual. It's more intangible. Okay? So th both are true. Um, number four, give to the poor. That's a no-brainer. This book tells us to do that, like, so many times. It's ridiculous. Support the poor. That's our calling. We have to give to the poor. Um, we just have to do it. Um, and so that's, that's one area where we should give. Is, is places that are supporting the poor. Um, number five, Luke 16, 9. We read this the first week, but Luke 16, 9 is use worldly wealth for, so right there it's telling us how to use our worldly wealth, right? Because it says those exact words. Use worldly wealth for the purpose of gaining friends for yourself so that through them you can store up in eternal life. So use your money to invest in people around you to make friends. Bribe people into being your friends. Because through that, you are investing in your heavenly reward, is what it says. Okay, that's Luke 16, 9. And when uh, Devo, uh, one of my pastors and mentors, showed me this verse, and, and I was like, I've read that before, but I didn't understand it. And he's like, oh, well, it means use worldly wealth to gain friends. And I was like, it, it actually means that? That seems weird. And he's like, no. That's why when, I, when I'm out with my kids and I see a bunch of other kids playing, I have my kids go and tell them, come over to Dairy Queen with us, and I buy them all ice cream cones. Because the Bible says use worldly wealth to gain friends. And so that's what I do. And I'm, it, I was like, you know, it's like, that's so non-spiritual sounding, man. You're saying just, like, spend money and people will hang out with me more? Well, that's how we started our church, Extreme Life, the church plant. We invited people over and we fed them. Come to our house, use our fridge. And that's what we did. And we spent that money on building a community, and it started a church. 
Okay, so this stuff really works. And so I really encourage you, especially for those of you who are families or part of a married couple, pray about how can we use worldly wealth to gain friends? What can we do to advance the kingdom of God through our money, the money God has given us, the money God's entrusted to us? Um, and I talked about this before, but part of that tithe, that second tithe people were to give, was to vacations and feasts. Those were the two things we were supposed to use that second tithe for in the Old Testament, vacations and feasts. Feasts are not your family Thanksgiving. Feasts are community barbecues. That's what the feast days were. It was everybody getting together and having a gigantic party with a whole bunch of wine and a whole bunch of venison and a whole bunch of mutton and a whole bunch of other meat. And it was like a three or four day eat fest. Like that's what the, that's what the um, Hebrew feasts were. And you, everyone was supposed to save up money to invest into that, to be a part of community building. Um, and so I encourage you to pray about it. Be like, hey, maybe just invite all your neighbors over for a barbecue. That's super easy. Hey, we're having a neighborhood cookout. Oh, okay. Is that like an official thing? Who cares? doesn't matter. We're having a neighborhood cookout. Come and cook. And if you're going to do it, I highly encourage you, buy the good stuff. Seriously. Go to Costco or find someone with a Costco membership. Go there and buy steaks. It's expensive. This is going to be an investment in the kingdom of God. But if you invite a stranger over and you feed him ribeye, he will never forget it. I'm serious. Invite people over, feed them. This is, this is an amazing thing. Jesus did a lot of ministry with food, and um, there's a reason for that. So use worldly wealth to gain friends. Pray about how you can do that. I talked about buying a bed for, for somebody at one point, maybe the first week that we did that. You weren't here then, but when we bought a bed for Sheila and Greg. Um, and that's, that's an awesome thing to be able to do with God's money. The last thing, invest in your future ministry. Invest in your future ministry. And we do that through retirement savings. Now, not all retirement savings would necessarily be invested in the kingdom of God. It depends what you plan to do with those retirement savings. But we plan to retire, meaning we no longer have to show up to a specific place in order to get paid to live. We're going to retire, but we're still going to do ministry. We're going to spend a lot more time in other countries doing medical stuff. That's for sure. And we're going to spend more time doing things. And our plan is that we won't have to go around asking for money all the time to do that because we will have saved enough money to support ourselves. And so we are investing money now. We are literally donating to our future ministry now. And we're doing it through retirement savings, IRAs, 401K, that sort of thing. And so we're investing in the kingdom now so that eventually we can retire and use that money to live on to grow on and do ministry. And that's the plan. And the plan is by that point that we'll be living on 10% of what we earn and giving away 90. The reverse tithe, that's the goal. Um, we started with 10 when we got married. We're up to uh, f- near 50% now, which I say not to try to brag or to put anything, any burden on anybody. I'm just saying what this verse says that we read in Second Corinthians, that when you give bountifully, you receive bountifully. And the more you do that, the more God can increase your giving. And we're at almost 50% now, and I want to get to 90%. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. Now, part of that 50% includes what I just said, investing in our future ministry, so our retirement savings. For us, that is investing in the kingdom of God because that's what we plan to do with it. Um, and so that's another thing you can do is invest in your future ministry. So uh, we're a little over time, but anybody have any last-minute questions on money? Next week, we're going to talk about not worrying, not specifically about money, but about everything because one of the toughest parts about this money thing is what we started with, which is Matthew 6, don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry when you're in a money test. And we want to get to the point where we can pass that and we can not worry. And so next week we'll be talking about how to not worry. 
Um, not just about money, but about anything. Um, any other last-minute questions from folks? All right. Well, I'm always around. Let me know if you have any questions or want to talk about some specific stuff. But let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us so much. If I think my math worked out to be $34,000 a year. If you make more than, as a family, if you make more than $34,000 a year, you are in the 1% of the world. The whole world. And so we are all very blessed, Lord. And we want to learn how to become better stewards. Most of us here are already good stewards, but we can learn how to become better stewards, Lord. So we ask you to help us to do that. Speak to us so that we can obey and follow. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to walk by your spirit and not by what we see around us or our circumstances. Lord God, may we use all that you've given us to glorify you. Our money, our time, our skills, and our talents. And Lord, help us to fight against that selfishness and that greediness that we all have to still fight against. um, To not lay up treasures on this earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. Help us have that eternal perspective, Lord, in everything that we do. And help us to pass our next money tests whenever they come. And I pray that we could also turn to each other when we're going through that, that we can get prayer and support and encouragement from one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Potluck next week. Bring stuff, or at least bring people. And we'll see you next week.